0: You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. The Barnabas Factor. When an enemy needs a friend. And uh, we're going to talk about What does it mean to be an encourager? And we're going to focus our attention on a man named Barnabas, who was willing to risk his own reputation in order to be a friend to an enemy. So before we jump into this message, let me give you a recap of the events that have led to today's text. As you remember, Saul of Tarsus was an enemy of the church. He was present at the stoning of Stephen and even gave his approval and watched over the clothing of those that were throwing the stones. After Stephen's death, a persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and Saul went from house to house, dragging men and women off to prison. And the church was scattered, and so Saul went to the chief priests, and he asked for their approval, their authority and commission to travel to Damascus in order to arrest any that would call on the name of Jesus. Well, as he approached Damascus, praise God, He was met by the resurrected Christ and in a brilliant light he was thrown to the ground and blinded and had to be uh, led by the hand into Damascus. His life was forever changed and God sent a man named Ananias to come and pray for him and when Ananias arrived he laid his hands on Saul and something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and his sight was restored. And Luke tells us that then Saul was baptized, uh, he was given some food, and he regained his strength. Well, Paul tells us in his letter to the Galatians that the message or the gospel that he preached came by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. And he also tells us that for a time he went to Arabia and then returned to Damascus. And this is where Luke picks up the story and tells us that Saul preached boldly in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And he baffled the Jews by proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. So the persecutor became the preacher. And now the Jews wanted to kill him. But when Saul learned of their uh, plans, he was lowered in a basket through an opening in the wall, and he was able to make his escape. So after three years of Being in Damascus, now Saul was going to return to Jerusalem. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can freely assemble here this morning. When we read the stories of the early church and we see the persecution that they faced, Lord, we're reminded of those who in various parts of the world are persecuted even today for their faith. And Father, we lift them up and we pray for their protection, and we thank you for their example of faith and courage and of your faithfulness to watch over them. Lord, I pray that today you would teach us from your word and by your Holy Spirit, that we would be encouraged, that we would be built up so that we can also encourage and build up one another in our Christian faith. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray amen. Our text today is found in Acts chapter 9, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 26 down through verse 31. When he came to Jerusalem, and we're talking about Saul, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and had that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. How many, if you would raise your hand, have been given a nickname, maybe by a parent, a close friend, maybe even a co-worker? Well, point number one is... What's in a nickname? What makes a nickname so significant? A nickname can simply be a shortened version of your given name. I go by Mike, but my given name is El Guapo. (laughs) A nickname can depict something about your appearance. Or it could also talk about something about your character. In 1986, I started working at the mine, and I was issued an ID number, and they they put it on my brass, and this is what I would give to the time office. So the time office knew me by 10771. I would show up, 10771, and they'd give me my time card. Everyone else knew me by my last name, West. Well, I don't know about other occupations, but I found out early that miners love to give each other nicknames. Do we have any miners or ex miners in the house? Yeah, there's a couple, so you know what I'm talking about. Well, over the years that I worked underground, I had the privilege to work along some men that had been given some unique and rather odd nicknames. And let me give you a few examples. On my second day of employment, one of my fellow Lemonheads, which is what they called us new hires because we wore yellow hard hats. He was given the nickname Skippy because when we sat down for lunch, he pulled a jar of peanut butter out of his lunchbox. And I'm just so thankful that they didn't see that I had rainbow bread on my sandwich or I might have been known as the eight-hour loaf. Well, after a week of breaking rocks, you know, working as a shoot-tapper, little rocks out of big rocks, they asked for volunteers to work on the track crew. I figured it had to be better than what I was doing. And so I volunteered. Anyone in the military knows you don't volunteer, but I was never in the military, so I volunteered. (laughs) And they sent me to work on the track crew with a man named Ponce Verde. And I asked my partner, why do they call him Ponce Verde? And they pointed as Mr. Fuentes was coming up the drift to sign our six points or our safety check. And all I could see coming up the drift was his cap lamp shining down on the belly of his green t-shirt. Ponce Verde, green belly. Well, sometime later, I became a miner, and they assigned me to work on the ring drill with a man known as Buzzard. You can only guess what he looked like. He looked just like the cartoon characters, kind of hunched over. He was tall. He had his hair slicked back. He had a long nose and a huge Adam's apple. He looked just like a buzzard. And they called him Buzzard. Well, some of the other men that I worked with had nicknames, and they were all given by fellow miners, men such as Fish, Mustache, Gumby, and Bigfoot, but his closest friends called him Sasquatch. They were all given nicknames by fellow miners based on their appearance or some other attribute. Now, today, we're introduced in chapter 4 of Acts to a man named Joseph. And Joseph had been given a nickname by the fellow apostles and his name, nickname was Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. If I was to ask you a question today, if you were to receive a nickname from the members of this congregation, what would it be? Would they call you sleepy or happy, maybe grumpy or sneezy? What characteristic or gift are you known by? Maybe they would call you Thankful compassionate or helpful we read in romans chapter 12 verses 8 through 10 where paul's talking about gifts given by the holy spirit it says if your gift is to encourage if your gift is to encourage others be encouraging if it is giving give generously If God has given you leadership, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection, and take delight in honoring each other. Point number two, we're going to look at five qualities that made Joseph stand out to the Apostles so that he would be called a son of encouragement. Now, the word encourage in English means to inspire courage. That's kind of a given. Inspire courage, spirit, or hope. In the Greek, do we have any Greek speakers here? Thank God. So I'm, you won't know if I say this wrong. In the Greek, it's parakaleo. And it's a two-part word, para meaning alongside of, and kaleo meaning to call. So in the Greek, para kaleo means to call alongside of. There you go. There's your Greek lesson. (laughs) And it's the picture of coming to the aid or assistance of someone else. And in particular, it's the ability to help someone in an area where they cannot help themselves. So picture, if you will, a person that is carrying a heavy load and they're trying to walk up a steep incline and they're struggling and stumbling under the weight of their load and you're watching as they do this, but then you come alongside of them and you take the weight of their burden upon your own shoulders and you put your arm around them and you say to them, you can make it. Just keep walking. I'm right here with you and together we're going to make it to the top of this hill. See, to me, that's a picture of what it means to be an encourager, to come in alongside of someone and give them hope, courage, to help them maybe in an area where they're struggling and can't help themselves. I came across this quote, and it's from an American author and motivational speaker named William Arthur Ward. And it's what he had to say about encouragement that stood out to me. He said, Flatter me, and I may not believe you. Criticize me and I may not like you. Ignore me, and I may not forgive you. Forgive you, But encourage me, and I'll not forget you. Think about somebody in your life that has been an encouragement to you, that has come alongside. Maybe it's been a teacher or a family member, a coach, maybe a close friend, someone that has come in alongside of you and has been an encouragement to you. You see, we don't forget those that have encouraged us, do we? So we're talking about five things that made Barnabas stand out to the apostles as an encourager. And the first quality we see is that Barnabas was quick to respond to a human need. He was generous, and he responded in love. In Acts chapter 4, when we're first introduced to Joseph or Barnabas, it reads, All the believers were united in heart and mind, And they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money and lay it at the apostles' feet to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field that he owned and he brought the money to the apostles. You see, the church in Jerusalem was growing rapidly and believers were being added to the church daily. And soon there was a financial need in order to care for the thousands of new believers. And Barnabas is listed among those that was the first to respond. And he responded in love, not out of some obligation or religious obligation, but out of love. He saw the need and he responded. It's interesting that that Luke would tell us that he was from the tribe of Levi. We're not told what uh, Barnabas' occupation was, but the tribe of Levi was where the priests came from. And they would have been accustomed to receiving an offering, But Barnabas was generous and he gave an offering. And not just some of what he made from the sale, but all of it to be used however it was needed. And this generosity was a source of encouragement to those who were in the early church. The second quality that we see in Barnabas is that he insisted on believing the best about people. And he would risk his own reputation in order to reach others. There's two men that are mentioned in the book of Acts, by name, who were greatly encouraged by Barnabas when they were new believers. One of them is Saul of Tarsus, and the other is John Mark, and we'll talk about him just a little bit later. That was the cousin of Barnabas. But we're talking about Saul, and we see that when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to hook up with the disciples, and they were having no part of it. None of them believed that he really was a disciple. They thought they were, he was trying to trick them and get in so that he could arrest them and, and kill them. But Barnabas was willing to risk his reputation, risk his neck and his own safety. And he reached out to Barnabas and he brought him to the apostles. And he explained to them the change that had taken place in Saul's life. And it was as a result of Barnabas being willing willing to risk his reputation with the apostles, that Saul was accepted and allowed to travel freely among the believers in Jerusalem. Well, the next thing that we see about Barnabas is that he never held a person's past against them, he was able to see past their reputation and see their potential. Barnabas was able to look past Saul's reputation of being a hater and a persecutor of the church. And he was able to see that Saul was a fellow brother in the faith and a capable preacher. A preacher who was now on the receiving end of the persecution that he once so zealously poured out. A preacher who boldly proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah. The fourth quality that we see in Barnabas is he was a committed encourager. He encouraged new believers to remain true to God. You see, after the death of of Stephen, the believers were scattered away from Jerusalem, and men from Cyprus and Cyrene settled in Antioch, and they spoke the good news of the Lord Jesus to the Greeks that lived there. And we're told that many believed and turned to the Lord. And when the church in Jerusalem heard of this, they sent Barnabas to go and find out what's going on up there in Antioch. Luke tells us that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and that when he arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God, and he was glad, and he encouraged them to stay true to God with all your heart. You notice he didn't tell them. Well, now that you've become a new believer, you need to be circumcised and you need to follow these religious ordinances and the law and follow and observe these feasts. No, he was willing to embrace them as fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and look past the differences that they were Gentiles. In fact, it says that he saw the evidence of the grace of God. Barnabas was able to see that God's grace had been poured out on both the Jews And the Gentiles. And he embraced them as fellow believers. And he told them to remain true to God with all their hearts. And as a result of Barnabas being sent to Antioch, many were still coming and, and putting their faith in God. In fact, God was doing such a remarkable work in Antioch that Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul and to bring them back to help with the work there in Antioch. And for a whole year, they taught the church, and they met with them. And it's there in Antioch that believers or disciples were first called Christians, which means Christ-like. Well, sometime later, the church in Antioch sent out Barnabas and Saul on their first missionary trip. And John Mark is mentioned then as going with them as a helper And they traveled or they sailed to Cyprus and they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. And they traveled throughout the island until they came to Paphos where they were met by a Jewish sorcerer who was an attendant to the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The sorcerer opposed them and he tried to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul confronted him in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the sorcerer was blinded. In seeing this, the proconsul put his faith in God. He believed and he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. Well, two things happened as a result of this confrontation. The first one is that Saul would take his Latin name and from then on he would be known as Paul. The second thing that happened is that John Mark deserted the mission We're not told why, but he left Paul and Barnabas there in Paphos, and he returned to Jerusalem. Which brings us to our fifth quality that made Barnabas stand out. He was a forgiving brother, and he was willing to give others a second chance. You see, Saul's first two attempts at preaching ended with the Jews wanting to kill him. It was seven years after the apostles had sent him back home to Tarsus, that Barnabas went looking for him to help him in the work because he saw the potential in Saul. And he brought him back to help him because he was valuable in the spreading of the gospel. Now, Paul and Barnabas are making plans for their second missionary trip. And it's this time Barnabas is willing to risk his reputation one more time. And this time he wants to give John John Mark a second chance. You see, Barnabas was able to look past Saul and John Mark's failures. He didn't see them as a failed preacher or a failed missionary, but he saw their potential. And he was willing to encourage them and pour his life out into them and show them the love of God. And I believe that it's because, John Mark, or because Barnabas was willing to, to Pour his life into these two men and encourage them that they became the great men of God that we know them to be today. Point number three, we've talked about Barnabas. Now let's bring the application home. As Christians, we are all called to be encouragers. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. And Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, Encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. The first quality that as encouragers we should have is we should look for opportunities to encourage others. Have you ever asked yourself, why do geese fly in a V formation Somebody might say, well, it's a whole lot easier than flying in an S formation. But a V formation, there's two benefits. The first one is it conserves energy. You see, each bird flies a little higher than the bird in front of them. Now, the birds up in front, they're getting all the wind resistance. And they're just flapping their wings as hard as they can, trying to fly. Birds in the back, take a look at them. They're just they're having a smooth ride. But they take turns being in the front, and then moving to the back when they get tired. And in this way, in flying in this formation, the geese can fly a longer distance before they have to stop and rest. A second benefit to this formation is it aids in communication and coordination within the group. Now, I don't know what a geese or a goose sounds like. I'm guessing it's, on 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 on, And they <laughs> are all doing this. And it's not that they're trying to be noisy as they fly over neighborhoods, but it's to communicate with one another. You see, in flying this formation, they can keep an eye on where the other birds are. And through communicating with that honking sound, they're able to communicate and coordinate within the group so nobody gets left behind. Fighter pilots use the same formation for the same reason. Now, like geese, our Christian behavior should prompt us to look out for one another, to have each other's back, to look for opportunities or ways that we can encourage and build up and serve one another. But too often, our behavior follows the pattern of the world and more closely resembles that of a chicken. (laughs) You see, a chicken wants to be the top bird. And they'll look for weaknesses in the other birds, and they'll peck on it relentlessly. Sometimes it ends in the death of the weaker bird. So our second point, or quality, is that we need to give each other the grace to grow. You see, a baby doesn't become an adult the instant that she's born. There's a process in which a baby becomes a toddler, becomes a child, and eventually becomes an adult. The same is true in our Christian walk. Nobody is spiritually mature the instant that they put their faith or their trust in Jesus. True, we've been given a new name, a new nature, a new heart, a new position, but we still have this mind that needs to be renewed by the washing of water of the Word of God. And it's aligning our beliefs or what we think to be true with what is true the truth of God's Word. And it's when we align our belief system, that's that process of sanctification. And it's a ministry of the Holy Spirit working in the life of the believer to produce godliness. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. And we need to realize that our spiritual maturity is not static. You're not given, okay, that's your spiritual maturity and no more right there, and we will give you a little bit less, give you a little bit more, No, we're all being conformed to the image of Christ. And it's a daily thing that we're growing and becoming more Christ-like. So we need to see that God's not only working in me, He's working in others as well. And we need to give each other that grace. The third quality is that we need to affirm the capabilities that we see in other people. See the best in people. There's a story of an old man. Who lived in a small town, and the people of this small town they love to gossip and criticize. And well, one day, this scoundrel of a dog that was known to be a terror throughout the community, he suddenly died. And one by one they begin to share their, their tales of their involvement in, with this dog. One shared how the dog would chase her children home from school. Another one told her the story of how the dog would sneak into her yard and dig up her flower beds. One man recalled how his trash cans were always being scattered out on his front lawn. Well, it came time for this old man to speak, and all the townspeople waited in anticipation because they wanted to hear what this man had to say, because they knew that once, this nasty, mangy mutt had once bitten him. And so the old man waited a while. He cleared his throat, (laughs) and he said, that dog sure had pretty teeth. (laughs) And his breath smelled just like freshly picked petunias. You see, we need to recognize And see the capabilities, the giftings that God has placed in each one. And we need to affirm that and and encourage one another to use those giftings. It's for the church's benefit. You know, don't keep that to yourself. But use it and let us encourage one another in that. Well, the next point is that we need to point people to the opportunity side of a problem. I have a coworker that has a Barnabas-type disposition. And I don't know if he's saved or not, but I'm going to say it's a Barnabas-type disposition because he's this positive guy. Whenever we have a problem at work, he's the one that will say, this isn't just a problem. This is an opportunity to excel. And that's about how he says it. <laughs> an opportunity to excel. And, you know, Over the years, as obnoxious as it sounds, it's rubbed off on some of us to some extent so that whenever a problem arises, we look for this opportunity to excel. And a person with a Barnabas-type disposition sees problems as opportunities, not as disasters. This is why James could say to the Christians when they were facing the most severe persecution, consider it pure joy. In other words, the encourager looks beyond the immediate pain and suffering to what God is painting on the larger canvas. And they lift the vision of others to see that even in the most disastrous of circumstances, God can turn it around and use it for good. There's a story by Corey Ten Boom in her book, The Hiding Place, where she tells a story about how her sister Betsy encouraged her to Thank God for fleas. You see, the Ten Boom family had been hiding Jews, and this is during World War II. And they got arrested by the Nazis for hiding these Jews in a hidden room up in their attic. And Corrie and her sister Betsy were arrested, and they were pushed into Barracks 28 in Ravensbrück, a work camp or concentration camp for prisoners. And she writes, and if you'll allow me to just read from her book here. It says, We stared at the stacks of wooden sleeping platforms, crowded into the large room. Only a narrow walkway cut between. The platforms were three deep and covered with dirty, stinking straw. There wasn't even enough room to sit up. We had just arrived by train, along with hundreds of other prisoners, crushed together for three days with 80 women in a freight car. Exhausted, we crawled onto the platform that we had been assigned. But within moments, I set up quickly, and I bumped my head on the platform above. Fleas! I jumped to the the floor, and this place is crawling with fleas. I don't know if I can cope with living in such a terrible place. Corey, I think God has already given us the answer, my sister Betsy said. What was that verse we read from the Bible this morning? I pulled out my Bible from the bag I wore on a string around my neck. And in the dim light, I read from 1 Thessalonians five sixteen through 18. It said, Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Oh, Betsy, that's too hard in a place like this. No, come on, Corey. Let's try. What are we thankful for? My sister asked. Well, if we must be in this awful place, I'm thankful that we're together. And that the guards didn't find that Bible you had hanging down your back, added Betsy. I nodded gratefully. Maybe we should thank God for how crowded we are in here because more women will hear the Word of God when we read it aloud. That's right, Betsy's eyes danced. And thank you, God, for fleas. No, Betsy, I can't thank God for the fleas. There's nothing good about them. Well, we'll just have to wait and see, my sister answered. Every day we were awakened at 4.30 a.m. and forced to stand outside in the cold for roll call. Then we worked an 11-hour day. We were given black bread for breakfast and a thin soup of turnips for supper. The only thing we had to look forward to was when all of us stumbled back to the barracks at night. Before we went to sleep, Betsy and I would open our smuggled Bible and read God's Word to the other women. At first, we posted lookouts to keep watch for the guards. Anyone caught with a Bible would certainly be killed. But day after day passed, and no guards came into barracks 28. Soon, we read the Bible twice a day. And more and more women listened. No one bothered us. One day, Betsy grabbed my arm and she whispered, I know why no one has bothered our Bible studies. I overheard some of the guards talking. None of them wants to come into Barracks 28 because of the fleas. I wanted to laugh. All right, Lord, thank you for the fleas. Are we willing to thank God for those fleas in our lives? For those circumstances that are unpleasant, maybe we're suffering through it, but are we willing to see the bigger picture that God is painting and see that even the most disastrous circumstance, God can turn around and use it for our good? The final quality of an encourager is that we encourage one another when we assemble together. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And we read in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, Let us not neglect meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. You see, one of the ways that we encourage each other as Christians is when we gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, not gathering together would have the opposite effect, and it would lead to discouragement. But we encourage one another when we assemble. Sometimes we assemble, and we have this consumer-type disposition where we question, what's in it for me? And we're looking at programs, styles. But rather, let us, when we gather together, when we come into our church or our small group, Let us have a Barnabas-type disposition that looks at people instead of programs. Let us be willing to love and accept others just as God loves and accepts us. Let us walk in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and extend that grace to others. You see, you never know the full effect of your encouragement. Barnabas, behind the scenes, Encouraged Paul and John Mark. And in doing so, he has encouraged many throughout the, c- the centuries because these two men wound up writing 14 of the 27 books of the New Testament. And Barnabas, indirectly, has touched our lives this morning through this message. Brothers and sisters, may we also at Living Word Chapel, like Barnabas, bear the nickname Sons and Daughters. encouragement would you stand with me as we pray Heavenly Father thank you for your perfect love and thank you for your amazing grace I pray that this message has stirred our hearts so that we would become as you have designed a people who would choose to live in genuine community a people who have received your grace and can now extend that grace to others I pray that we would be those who would encourage and build up one another. I pray that your love would fill us and flow through us so that the world would know that we are your disciples because we love. It's in the name of Jesus and for your glory we pray. Amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.